Hey, Real Nerds. There's many ways to enjoy the Real Nerds podcast. You can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify and iHeartRadio. You can see what we're up to around town by following us at Real Nerds on Instagram. And if you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us at realnerds at gmail.com or call us at 720-6NERDS5. Like us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or tweet us at Real Nerds. And now on with the show. Hi, this is Brian. No, that's this is my announcer voice, and you're listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Should I do this as my real self? Oh, shucky darn. Hi, this is Brian Cummings. You're listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Okay, do it straight. Hi, this is Brian Cummings, and actually you are listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Send money and real estate. This is Real Nerds Podcast, officially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and beyond. I am Ryan, with me is Zach, Corinne, and Brad, and they're in Brady Bunch Squares because we are doing this on Zoom, hopefully only a couple more times, maybe one more time. Yeah. Every week, theaters come back online, we're, we're back. Yes. Every week we see a new movie and podcast or experience the world, except for Nerdemic, which has made it almost impossible. Yeah, this week, though, uh, our fans helped us out, and we actually got more votes than I thought we were going to get. Um, this week, they had a choice between Dracula 2000, which received zero votes. I thought some we'd have asshole friends and uh, listeners that would make us <laughs> watch it, um, but I guess they like us because um, it ended up being between The Emperor's New Groove and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And Oh Brother, Art Thou? One! So we'll be talking about the George Clooney, Coen Brothers... Mash them up, masterpiece. Mash them up, or <laughs> this is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. We also talk about movie news because there's movie news is starting to explode again because everybody's starting to ramp up again. And um, make sure you still stay safe though, because I don't want I don't, I don't want to go back to this. So when you go out to your movies, wear your fucking masks. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. Don't be a dick. You hear yeah. me? <laughs> First rule of life, don't be an asshole. Yes. Yeah, get over yourselves. Think about other people. If it makes yeah. you feel any better, you look like a superhero when you wear your mask. Does that make you feel better? Wear your mask. <laughs> also, it fucks up facial recognition software. So take that, big brother. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. you, Apple. <laughs> and Google. That stuff that you should doesn't really matter and be worried about. Quarantine is taking a hit on our senses now. <laughs> we also talk about uh, Blu-rays that are coming out and stuff we've been watching. And it is, last week it made its triumphant return after 13 weeks of being gone. And that's Around Town with Brad. Brad, let's jump in your Jeep and go around town. Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Am I ever going to have a budget to, like, get, like, a, a new car or something, new kind of transportation said, for the segment? I said, I said a Jeep. What do you want? I know, but, as, 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 you know, as maybe maybe I can get, like, a, you know, a jet or a, well, or a helicopter. Well, if I said, like, a Tesla, we couldn't make sound effects for you driving. 
I know because those can, cars do this. I can download sound effects. <laughs> People get just think that I have those things. I know, but a Tesla doesn't make any noise. Is the point? You don't have enough imaginary dollars to get you an imaginary jet, Brad. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I don't have to have a Tesla. I could have stuff that makes noise, like a tank. Okay. <laughs> Brad's going to take us around town in Arnold Schwarzenegger's tank. No, no, Let's no. Go, I, I want a horse. Okay. We're going to go around town on a horse. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. Yeah, I'm riding a horse. <laughs> I ho silver away. Uh-oh. Drive-in won't let me bring my horse in. Hey, he's wearing uh, a mask. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, at the drive-in, uh, they're switching it up to, uh, Jumanji and Bloodshot. So I haven't seen Bloodshot, so I'll probably go <laughs> check that out. What's so funny, Zach? It's we the need movie the movie to come back. People. If Bloodshot's the only thing we've got. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they must be sensing the return of the coronavirus. So, <laughs> uh, get that shut down. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's about it. Just the drive-in, um, the uh, Fort Collins drive-in. That was the '88 schedule. The Fort Collins one kind of uh, makes up their thing on the fly, so I don't know right now. But like, I know this week they're doing like Grease and Jaws and Animal House, but that's only like for the next two days. Well, that, yeah, last week. I thought you were like flexing. You're like, mm. no, I was fixing my ear cans. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Sure. Yeah. Uh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> When I hear the movie Grease, I gotta grease up my guns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't think I was gonna go to a gun show tonight. <laughs> so yeah, so maybe next week though we'll have uh, some uh, more news about when theaters may be open in Denver and check out some older releases to get people back in. Yeah, I heard <sighs> Back to the Future's on the slate, so I'd like to see that again. Yeah, it'd be fun. Zach. Uh, you better have yes, Blu-rays ready for that are coming out next week. I I have them not only ready, but able and ready to go. I guess it'd be this week. I guess it'd be today. Is today Tuesday? Today's, Today's Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, but it's okay. You'll have plenty of time to pick these titles up. DVD releases the Blu-rays. All right. So uh, we'll start off with a uh, 2019 um, movie called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Criterion is putting that out for its uh, full initial release. So you can pick that up if you'd like. Uh, Kino Lober. Film explosion list. Yeah, Made Henry's. And it's a film that I've been told that I need to watch. So I'll probably pick it up this week. I can't wait Um, to see a French film about women. It's It's supposed to be pretty awesome. So I can't wait. Um, there's a Sherlock Holmes movie coming out by Kino Lobor called Murder by Decree, which I've never seen before, but it has Christopher Plummer, um, John Gilgood, and Genevieve uh, Behold, and last but not least, Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland in a Sherlock Holmes mystery. I'm down with that. He has a cool voice. Hopefully he does his Irish accent that he did in Deep Rising, because then I'd be convinced. Oh, God. I was... I, I... Wanted to make that uh, finally I watched this, this but I, I didn't. So this week you will hear my review of Deep Red. Um, Tokyo Olympiad uh, from 1965 is coming out to Criterion as well, if you want to get that. Um, Arrow's putting out a movie called Dream Demon from 1988. Ryan, you ever seen Dream Dream Demon? one? You keep on breaking up, Zach. 
Dream Demon? Oh, sorry, Dream. Uh, no, I mean I've seen Dream Demon with Freddy Krueger. No, no. Well, that's that's Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, um, but yeah, no, Dream Demon. The, you can pick that if you'd like. Um, and the it looks like twenty third season of South Park is coming out on Blu Ray. Do you have that on pre order, Ryan? Uh, I don't. Um, and the only reason is because so now they're only ten episodes, and the first couple weeks are out. They're like thirty bucks. So I hope they they usually drop in price in a couple months to like fifteen. Well, that's good. At least you know your limits on it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that it's not a great show. It's a great show, but um, yeah, that's really, well, yeah. If it's only thirty bucks for ten episodes, is a lot. Yeah, no. If it's only ten episodes, just wait. You can wait that out a little bit. Have you already seen the season? Yeah, and they they also don't do their mini commentaries anymore. They do social commentaries where they just like tweet stuff that pop up oh, okay. pop up videos during the stuff. So uh, I don't think they're wonderful. Like I miss uh, the first. I think it's like two or three seasons. They had introductions with them that they mm-hmm. filmed. You know, the first yeah. one they're sitting by a campfire. The second season they're at an old folks' home and they're screaming at the old folks. Yeah, do that anymore? Because uh, so. that's lazy. how they. That's how they introed the first couple of like volume sets where they'd have like four or five episodes in a disc. Um, on Blu-ray, the first season of Pennyworth, the Epics TV show about Alfred Pennyworth, is out on Blu-ray. If you want to get that, uh, Warner Archives got two really cool releases, um, or I should say, one cool one and one okayish one. Uh, Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland in Strike Up the Band, featuring Paul Whiteman and his orchestra. Uh, film from 1940. You can check that out. I have that on DVD. I do not know if I'd want to get it on Blu-ray. Um, it's fine. Uh, but the other one is is that the uh, Warner Archive is reissuing the 3D version of 1953's House of Wax. The reason I bring this up is because the version that I own, and I think maybe Ryan owns, I'm not sure, has been out of print for the past couple of years and has been fetching a high price on uh, online. So now you can just get it and cut out the used market middleman um and it looks like it's got all its special features intact so that's pretty cool um and then uh it looks like the only other big release that i'm seeing uh is corpus christi a film from 2019 it was an academy award nominee for best uh, international feature i think jane uh henry has talked about this film so if you want to see what henry's been talking about you can check it out and that's blu-rays nice Movie news. It's real news. Well, um, we've got a couple of pieces of news. Um, first of all, yes, theaters are coming back into operation. Uh, as a result, policies are going to be have to be made in order to determine exactly what uh, will be allowed in those theaters and not. And AMC decided to... Um, I don't know exactly what uh, uh, the best phrase for shoot yourself in the foot is, but uh, they said they are not going to require moviegoers to wear face masks, and uh, that blew up in their face. And Regal and uh, Alamo Drafthouse responded with messages saying, we will require masks and uh, trying to firmly advocate that this is not a political statement. So um, I don't, there's no word if AMC has reversed the decision. Yeah, I read they did. But I do know that. They did. You're like, okay. Yeah, you're like forty. Article... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, I, 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 I'm. Yeah, sorry. I think on the nineteenth they reversed their decision because 
they said they didn't want it be to be political, but by saying they didn't want it to be political, it became political. Oh, gotcha. All right. Okay. Well, at any rate, now that everybody's going to require you to wear a mask, I do know that there was an article that said AMC was like charging a dollar if you needed a mask. And I thought that that was kind of nonsense. Like you can get a free mask at the grocery store if you need it. Like there's no reason for AMC to charge nonsense. Um, moving on. Um, there, this, this is late breaking news, which I think Brad's going to have more detail about, but there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series in development at CBS All Access. Hello? Yeah, I'm, you're breaking up, so I'm trying to... Uh, so he's bringing up the uh, Ninja Turtles show. Uh, yeah, uh, that like just was announced at, um, before we started the, the podcast. Uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's in development, so there's no guarantee it's going to be seen or get yeah. finished being developed. So, but it's announced that they are. It's uh, they're trying to base it on the upcoming Last Ronin comic book uh, series, limited series that was written by Eastman and Laird about the uh, the final turtle which we don't know which one it is um uh and it's set in the future and uh you know it's it's the last mission thing so uh which uh which makes me think that this announcement might be fake um because it's weird to you know base a million dollar tv show off of an unproven comic so like that specific of a storyline if they just said you know we're we're making a live action ninja girl show I could believe that, but the fact that it's based on this one thing, it's a little suspicious. Or it's just because it's a different take on them and they want to keep it fresh. Right. Yeah, a, a different take's great. I'm just wondering, you know, having, w- without seeing any sales of the book yet, um, it, the hype must be huge for the book and I'm not seeing it, but, you know, no sales of the book yet. Uh, it's weird that CBS All Access would be like com- considering committing that much money to something like that. Right. Well, at any rate, uh, if this ends up being a true thing, we'll get the last Ronin sometime within the, I don't know, next year or two. So look out for that. In what seemingly is probably even bigger news, um, I don't know who wanted Michael Keaton to come back as Batman other than me, but we're getting Michael Keaton as Batman again. Uh, Everybody wanted to come back. Yeah, the way to say that is everybody wanted Michael Keaton back as Batman. People have been kicking around that Batman Beyond idea for years. Yeah, I, I, I would have assumed people would have wanted Christian Bale back first, but all right. Anyway, um, yeah, he's in talks or has confirmed um, to be in the Flashpoint movie, which I didn't even think was coming out yet at this point because they've taken forever to make that damn thing. Um, uh, but yeah, it looks like he's in talk to be in a Nick Fury kind of role. Um, uh, with the movie that would star Ezra Miller continuing his uh, role as the Flash from Justice League. Yeah, well, I was um, reading that in the article on The Hollywood Reporter, they're talking about how he's going to be a mentor role, and they also want to get Batgirl going. So my guess is he's going to be like the Nick Fury, where he's going to start bringing them all together for, I guess, a different Justice League. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I'd love to see a Batgirl movie, because I... I love Barbara Gordon and I love Batgirl. So I think it'd be awesome if they made a Batgirl movie. Maybe, so they're, maybe they're building up, uh, you know, how they kind of played with uh, Birds of Prey and what that yeah. was. Maybe they're doing a, that version of being like a Teen Titans 
Yeah. So then is that how they kind of basically reboot their attempt at the Justice League the first time? Or is it just kind of like, well, this is just naturally where we're going to go? Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly. I, I think I think they learned their lesson um, with making Batman Superman and then right into Justice League. Mm-hmm. And they found that, you know, Shazam, Aquaman, um, those movies tend to do a lot better when they stand on their own and they're not weighted down by unnecessary uh, universe building. Right. And, and also when they're, like, not super dour. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's, it sounds good. I'm excited to see him come back in that role. I mean, he, he's... I don't know if he's my favorite Batman, but he's among my favorite Batman. So I would definitely love to see him get that, get back in that role. I wonder if he would have any new takes on it this many years separated from the last time he played him. But we'll, I'm, we'll sure. I'm not sure anyone wants a new take on it. Like, I think we're excited that he's coming back to re, like to reprise that take. So um, I think it's interesting just because he quit because Tim Burton wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. this isn't involving tim burton so he must just be excited to just be a part of the mythology now if i find out that tim burton's actually making this movie and it's all been one big trick then we'll know why he was back in the begin to begin with <laughs> now if this is a flashpoint movie does that mean that he's actually going to be playing thomas wayne not bruce wayne batman i think he's playing old bruce wayne like like i said uh the batman beyond batman that everyone's been uh, like clamoring for like like saying if they ever did a batman beyond movie like that's what they should do is have michael keaton play old bruce wayne so, so i think they're playing with that the, the only question i had was how does this um news interact with matt reeves as the batman or does it even or is it or are they just basically making that a whole separate entity i think it's a whole separate entity mm, like okay or it could it, be like spider-man into spider-verse yeah, like it, it, they're yeah. they're setting up a, a DC universe where they can play with all their different f- uh, franchises in separate timelines. Well, that's cool. You know, well, there, used to, there used to be the whole thing of like we can't confuse the audience with all these different things, but I think Hollywood's learned that comic book fans can follow uh, a multiverse thanks to Avengers. So yeah, so it kind of opens them out a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> um, but anyway. Well, that's cool. We'll we'll get to see the result of that. Like, it's taken forever for this Flash movie to come out. So, when it comes out, I hope we are all going to be able to cheer at Michael Keaton being Batman again. Um, and then I'm going to end the segment with two deaths because why not? Um, first the death. Reaper here. We're not going to end it with two deaths, Zach. <laughs> yes, I have to. I have to. Three but if you don't very... get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Zach Eastman passed away at the ripe old age of 29. Uh, um, no, we lost um, the most recent one we'll talk about is actually Joel Schumacher passed away at the age of 80 from cancer. Mm. Um, he had been battling cancer for a year. Uh, Schumacher does not need much of an introduction apart from directing some very eclectic and interesting films among them, Batman forever and Batman and Robin, but also the law, the lost boys, Falling Down, The Client. He wrote Car Wash, which is a fun little movie from the 70s. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite films of his, A Time to Kill. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm... I, so I, I'm are Brad and I the only ones here who are a fan of the opera? That's true, yeah. He directed that version of Phantom of the Opera. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I've never really, like, 
hated his movies or anything. Like I, I've just, I've never watched like the ones that I, I was just never interested in, but like, I like phone booth a lot. Like phone booth is a movie that works in spite of like not being like as tightly sound logically, but it's, it's a fun ass movie. Um, and I still think Batman forever is pretty damn fun. Um, and as everybody knows, I think at this point, when he did the interviews for the Batman and Robin DVD special edition that came out in the mid 2000s, um, he basically full out explained and apologized for Batman and Robin. And it was actually like a valuable little teaching tool to about how the, how the franchise uh, mentality of Hollywood works. So, um, but yeah, uh, at, at Dead at 80, he will be missed. Um, and yeah. I think the, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, he definitely had a distinct uh, vision in his movies. And yeah, I probably like a few of them more than most of them, but um, he, he's definitely creative as a filmmaker. Had, had oh, yeah. a lot of different, different uh, visual styles. And I do yeah. appreciate if you watch the Batman and Robin special features, he talks about all the pressure he's under and how they needed to make toys and he acknowledges it's not a good movie and um, he, he's really candid when you watch interviews with him and listen to his commentaries. Yeah, I was always I... interesting that, uh, you know, people laugh, like, you know, they, uh, they, you laugh at Batman and Robin, but if you think about the fact that his exposure to Batman was just the live action TV show. And if you just like modernize that TV show, that's pretty much what those two movies are, were. So yeah. I can't really fault him too much. Like, other than hey, I wish we, I wish he, you know, d- d- did more research <laughs> in yeah. the character. Watch a Tim Burton movie sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, what I find like fascinating is that he never like, you know, he he never like, I mean, outside of like maybe Batman and Robin, like anytime he approached a thing, like he never really apologized for being who he was as a stylist and an artist. So like, you know, there's there's a little bit of respect in that in that sense, like he knew the stuff that he worked on. This is a guy who directed the Wiz. Like he knew what he was working on. So, you know, like I, I gotta give it up to a guy who just kept working in spite of, you know, how much hate you could probably get thrown at for something like Batman and Robin. Like he never stopped making movies that were entertaining for the mass audiences. And even just to, you know, small little pockets of people like, again, like phone booths, a good example, or, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Phantom of the Opera he did, but, you know, I, I know there are fans of that movie, so I'm not going to like ever like toss that under a bus. So I think Definitely the only swung for the fences. Yeah. I think the actual only... value of that movie is really good. Yeah. Oh, and he's, you know, he knows how to shoot things in a theatrical sense. So he's, he always had that kind of talent behind him, but, but yeah, no. And if you haven't seen car wash from 1976, watch car wash. It's a lot of fun. Outdated, but fun. Um, I didn't realize he was that old. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like me either. Seventies or something. Yeah, I didn't realize he was, you know, suffering from cancer. But you know, and I thought he was directing recently. But his last credit is House of Cards episodes from 2013. Yeah, that makes sense. The last movie of his that I saw was a movie called Twelve, which had like a zero distribution and it had like Fifty Cent in it, and it's it wasn't like a great movie, but it wasn't terrible either. Like it was it was a, it was watchable. Um, uh, and I've still never seen the number 23, but maybe I'll watch it someday. Uh, and then the last, uh, piece of news and the final death of the, uh, of the week is, um, uh, farewell Bilbo Baggins. Uh, Ian Holm has passed away at the age of 88. 
Um, he had been uh, battling, um, I was trying to remember, it was Parkinson's. Yeah, Parkinson's uh, related illness um, finally took him from us. Um, yeah, he's Bilbo Baggins to an entire generation of kids, adults, etc. cetera. Um, but he was also Father Vito Cornelius in The Fifth Element. Uh, and in one of my favorite roles, he plays the professor from UCLA that um, uh, helps Howard Hughes find clouds in the aviator. <laughs> um, and then also basically explains to the ratings board why they shouldn't censor the outlaw because of Jane Russell's breasts. Um, and he was also in films like Brazil and um, yeah. And uh, the Skinner and Ratatouille. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he, 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 you will never forget the name Ian Holm because of the Lord of the Rings, hands down. Um, and Peter Jackson wrote a Facebook post essentially describing not only how awesome it was for him to work with Ian Holm on the first set of Lord of the Rings movies, but then also basically having Ian Holm make the decision on his own to come back for the Hobbit movies, which were his final like on stage appearances. Cause he had started suffering from Parkinson's and he was not remembering dialogue that well. And they, over the course of a dinner, they basically figured out how to film his scenes without him having to travel all the way to New Zealand to do them. And it's one of the most gut wrenching things I read this week. So um, it, there's a bunch of articles that link that post if you want to check them out, but yeah. yeah you I mean, Ryan, you've been rewatching the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings movies recently for Kate watch. So you, yep. you're aware of his yep. brilliance on screen. <laughs> And when we were talking uh, during the 1990 film explosion about Hamlet, he is in the 1990 version of Hamlet. He plays Polonius. Yep, that is true. Um, and he was also, uh, he played Napoleon twice. <laughs> like, so, you know, uh, talk about a guy who was able to run the, uh, run the gamut and just inspire a whole generation. And, you know, obviously, you know, who can forget him in Alien, too? You know, like it's it's a film I don't register as an Ian Holm movie initially, but he's in that movie. A lot of people are in that movie, actually. I, I got to the I watched Alien, you know, late to the game, and I was always surprised because pop culture had done the chestburster so much. Yeah, um, so I was expecting that, but no one had ever talked about his turn in the movie, so that was like a, a an awesome surprise for me. Yeah, well, I. I have to imagine, unless you're steeped in alien lore, the only big marketable one is the chestburster, but his turn is fucking bananas. Like, yeah. I agree. It's it's a little, it's not scarier so much as it's unner- more unnerving because of just the way it's presented. But, but yeah, 88, um, farewell, Bilbo. We'll miss you all. And that's news. Well, actually, there is a trailer that came out this week. I guess a new trailer for The King's Man dropped. So, you know, I got really excited about it. Because it has Ray Fiennes in it? Uh, yeah. Also, I, I, a bunch of other awesome people. Like Jim Hosu. That is true. It's a prequel to a film series that I find okay-ish. Um, but... <laughs> I mean, it's like, they're going to fight Rasputin. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. I hope it's a lot of fun. I like that first Kingsman and I wasn't like unpleased with the second one. Um, so, but yeah, like I, 
I don't know why, but like Matthew Vaughn's style hasn't stuck with me the way I think it should. But at any rate, that that's a, it's a it's an interesting trailer, so I'm I'm excited to see it. I think it's yeah. in, dropping in September, if I remember correctly, or yeah, at least the plan. Yeah, well, they they had to move it once before anyway, so right. Um, but yeah, unless I missed anything else, that's news. Well, the only thing too, I was watching Sports Center today. And mm-hmm. Tenant's new trailer says in theaters July thirty first. So ah, so it is official. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's on the Regal app. It's been that way for a while. I think awesome. Milan comes out the July twenty fourth, the week before. Yep, it's just nice to see it advertised as coming out that day. Yep, I agree. Cool. We watch movies throughout the week in the segment called "What We've Been Watching." So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, what'd you watch this week? Some British thing? <laughs> yep, I sure did. Uh, I'll just talk about three things real quick. Uh, so, the first thing is actually not a British thing. It's a Japanese thing. I what? found a Studio Ghibli film I hadn't seen. It's called Tales from Earthsea. And, um... It was okay. It was a little convoluted. Like, the plot got to be really weird toward the end. And it's like, they, they just kind of, like, things just happen, and they never explain it. And you're like, all right, cool, I guess. Um, so the, the story behind, uh, or the story of Tales of Ersti is that it's, like, this fictional kingdom, and this prince runs away from home, and he's found by this magician, like this super powerful magician. And everybody around them is talking about how, you know, things are super bad. And like the magic in the world is like disappearing and the dragons are fighting each other, which is like a really bad omen, I guess. And, you know, like crops are failing and uh, rivers are drying up. Like basically like kind of this sort of apocalyptic kind of situation where it's like it's getting to be that way. And they have to figure out how to, like, restore the balance. Um, it, it did remind me a lot of Star Wars, actually. I'm like, I think you guys just ripped off Star Wars for this movie. But I actually found out it's based on a series of novels by Ursula Le Guin. So it's, um, it sounds like they took a bunch of plot elements from multiple books and then tried to compact them into one movie. And it didn't really work. Because, like I said... Don't want to spoil anything, but there are a lot of things that happen and they're kind of either not explained very well or they're just not explained at all. It's like, oh, yes, somebody was like a dragon the whole time. That, what? (laughs) Nobody ever explains why they were a dragon, what that even means, why that's significant. But... It was, uh, I mean, the animation's beautiful. The voice cast is actually phenomenal in this movie. Timothy Dalton plays the mage, the main magician guy. Um, And then Willem Dafoe is the main bad guy. And he is, it's it's so hard to describe his performance. He's like almost so good that he's bad. Like somehow, <laughs> somehow his performance just like shoots the moon, and it just it's it's like bad all of a sudden. It's just like 
Oh my gosh. It, cause he whispers about 80% of his dialogue. Like his villain is just very like mellow and methodical and just like conniving. And he just like has like everything figured out. And so he never has to like raise his voice until the very end of the movie when everything's kind of going awry. But it's a, uh, it's super creepy. Like he pulls it off so well that I'm just like, Ugh. he's willing to know he could pull off anything. <laughs> I didn't even know it was him because again, his, his voice is so soft. I had to turn the volume way up. And even then I was still like, is that, is that Willem Dafoe? Cause they have like the names of all the major cast members on the cover. So I'm like, I know he's in the movie. Um, but is that, I think that's him. Um, also Cheech Marin is in it. He plays one of the bad guys, main guards and he does a great job too. So, I mean, it just sounds very stereotypical Cheech Marin, but it, it really fits the character, I think. So does he tell anybody that Dave's not there? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's okay. I, I think it might be worth checking out one day just because I think the animation is really cool. It's like there are a lot of neat ideas, like the design for the dragons are really cool. Like this, there's this opening sequence where there's just this random ship out on the sea. There's like a storm going and they like turn to their mage on the ship and they're like, you know, say the the spell to like calm the seas and calm the storm. And the mage is like, I can't remember the words. And then this like dragon flies right by the ship and they all freak out and then the second dragon comes up out of nowhere and kills the first dragon and it's super cool and then it was kind of all downhill from there <laughs> um okay so mild spoilers but the prince we find out that one of the reasons that he ran away at the beginning is because he kills his father and i mean they, they explain later in the movie why he did that um, but I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, so here we have a patricidal prince who gets redeemed at the end and, uh, you know, gets to atone and, and make amends for what he's done. And why couldn't we do that for Ben Solo again? Hmm? I mean, this thing is ripping off Star Wars, huh? Because Ben Solo's a piece of shit. I mean, if this well, kid can do it, I don't know why we couldn't have done it in Return or Rise of Skywalker. They did well, do it, and he shouldn't have been. They, it, here, here's the problem. Goro Miyazaki didn't direct it for Studio Ghibli. That's why Star Wars didn't end it the way you wanted to. Damn it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Goro Miyazaki, uh, Hayao Miyazaki's son, directed the movie. And I think it is based on... So it's based on the novels by Ursula Le Guin... But then I think Hayao Miyazaki turned those stories into like a series of like a manga comics or something. Mm -hmm. And then they based the movie off of the comics. So I don't know. But he's not, he, uh, Hayao Miyazaki wasn't really involved on in the movie, but his son did direct it. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, like the, the movie looks beautiful and the music is good. And the voice cast is good. Like, it's kind of a typical Miyazaki movie, but, or I mean, Studio Ghibli. Uh, but it was kind of as confusing as Nausicaa, like the ending of Nausicaa was. Just all of a sudden, there's just shit coming out of nowhere. Like, all right, guess that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Let's so, check this out. Looks interesting. That dragon on the cover looks very interesting. See, and uh, the cover, I didn't bother. I didn't want to go into the movie with any kind of idea of what it was about. The only thing I wanted to look at was the cover, just the front of it, not not read the back with the description or anything. But, like, because there's a, there's a dragon on the cover, I thought the dragons were going to be involved in it more. And then, like, they had that opening sequence with the dragons fighting. I was like, oh, this is going to be super cool. There's going to be dragons in this movie. And then they're in, like, two scenes. And that's Uh, it. It's really lame. The world needs more dragons in their movies. (laughs) Yeah, they really do. I'm speaking on behalf of myself and James, who's not here tonight. (laughs) So then the other... Two things I watched were the Pride and Prejudice adaptations. Which uh, I was supposed to watch this week to talk with you about, but I didn't get a chance to. Damn it, Zach. All right. So like 20 movies? Holy shit. What? So, so like 20 movies you watched? <laughs> Holy shit. I'm just saying they've adapted that one a lot. Uh, Yeah, I have seen a lot of those adaptations. I'm talking about the two, uh, the 1995 BBC miniseries, which I just lent to Ryan after I watched it. I got it on Amazon a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's a Blu-ray because I had the DVD, and I was like, the DVD looks so, like the transfer is so bad on it now, you know, compared to like a Blu-ray version. So I was like, I got to get a Blu-ray version just to see if it's any better because it's got to be. So I did, and it is a lot better. They threw a bunch of special features on at the end, which I haven't gotten around to watching yet, but I really want to once Ryan gives it back to me which will hopefully be soon because he's got to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then I will also watch the 2005 um, movie version with Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, which Zach was also supposed to watch, but didn't get around to. So maybe I'll defer talking about that to another time. Yeah, I will definitely watch it next week. I just got caught up with some other stuff in the day that I was supposed to watch it. So, But I, it, it's something we've been building up to for the past couple of weeks now. So, <laughs> I really, really want to do a commentary for it now because like every five minutes I was just pausing and like just like, ah, like, are you kidding me? That's not what they did in the book. And ah, it wouldn't have done. They, ah. Yeah, I just got to be so pedantic and anal about it but you know that's me i'm a purist i'm Uh, so basically uh, remember when ryan got really upset over the design of the ultimate green goblin and spider-man into the spider-verse just imagine that level of just pedantic anger but like for an entire movie ryan were you upset by that like uh, i wasn't upset by it i mean that's harsh i just want um you know them to be like old green goblin i'm tired of him being a monster yeah, well, I'm tired of the Bennett family looking like they're poor white trash. They have they 2,000 pounds a year. They have, they are, like, at least more, like, they're better off, financially speaking, than at least 95% of the British population. But they got, like, dirt all over their place, and their family wears, like, the equivalent of, like, T-shirts to church. They look so poor, uh, that's not fair. When I went to church as a kid, I wore a t-shirt. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I feel you. I'll have to watch the movie this weekend. Yeah, I'll do a commentary. Sweet. Yeah. Zach and I will do a commentary at some point for it. Yeah. 
But I don't want to talk about the 95 version too much either since Ryan's going to watch it. I mean, I'm sure you know the basic story, but I just don't want to give away any of the finer details in case you forgot something from the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies adaptation. Yeah. No, as long as people are getting eaten, then I'm good. <laughs> I mean, that is not the case with the Fuck. 95 version. <laughs> Mr. Darcy was always best with the sledge. <laughs> Zach, what'd you watch this week? Um, I had some fun roundabouts over the past week. Um, I rewatched The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Um, the Mummy from 99, obviously fucking fun as all hell. Um, just a solid, fun adventure action movie. Um, and then I, but I hadn't rewatched The Mummy Returns in a long ass time. Um, first of all, I'm not sure about this new actor, The Rock. I'm not sure how well he's going to go in the industry. Ryan, do, have you heard of this The Rock? No, I heard he's, I mean, maybe he'll make some kid movies. and Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I, he should use I, his real name. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems like he should use his real name and not use a silly name like that. I mean, I know he can smell what's cooking, but that's all I get from his, you know, visage. Um, but anyway, um, the remainder of the movie, other than the portions with uh, Mr. Johnson in them, um, I was kind of disheartened because I felt like my childhood like of the movie was turned into, oh yeah, there's a dirigible in this movie and they're flying to their destination in a dirigible. Um, uh, But I kind of didn't care because there's a certain point in that movie where they're fighting, um, uh, I guess they're the mummies uh, in the middle of that oasis. And I was just like, oh, Zach, you just shouldn't care. Because I know what's coming right after that, which is Mr. The Rock as a scorpion monster, which that CG obviously does not hold up at all. Um, but I still had a lot of fun with it watching Brendan Fraser. <laughs> it didn't, and it didn't hold up when it came out. <laughs> no, that, that's the thing. But like as a kid, like I didn't give a shit. And now as an adult, I give too much of a shit. <laughs> so um, it kind of just... It, it removed it for me, but I still love Arnold Vosloo as that character, regardless of the movie they wrote around him. It's kind of weird that that movie essentially neglects everything, every efforts that was involved in the first movie to bring back a Nox on a moon from the dead and just basically does it within the span of, I want to say 45 minutes of this movie's two hours and 10 minute runtime. Um, but yeah, it's still a lot of fun. Like Stephen Summers knows how to make a fun little movie to entertain you. So, um, there's no reason you shouldn't uh, check it out again if you are inclined to. Um, I rewatched the farmer's wife, which is a Hitchcock silent comedy from 1928. And, uh, I did, a I did record an episode of the Shamley on it, but I wanted to bring it up because Ryan, this is a silent comedy where all the title cards are fucking memes. (laughs) And I had completely forgotten about this because it's, it's a, it's a romantic comedy about a farmer whose wife dies and he marries, his daughter gets married. and he's, <laughs> oh, Yes, I know. Dead wives are hilarious, aren't they? Um, but um, so he's uh, basically left alone in his house and he tasks his caretaker uh, of the house. Hey, we're going to make a list of all the women who live in the area and I'm going to ask each of them to marry me like a creep. And one by one, he keeps getting rejected because he's just cold calling them for marriage. Um, but it's just every, every outdated, if you think certain romantic comedies are outdated that are from like 10 years ago or whatnot, 
just remember they're going off of a pattern that started as early on as Alfred Hitchcock doing The Farmer's Wife. Um, but it's it's a good movie. It's a really good silent film. But it's just I couldn't help but notice that those title cards, since the last time I had seen them in college, like do not hold up at all. Like in, in even in a very like distant modern context, like they've been eternally irrelevant for a while. But um, and then the last things I watched were I one night after work I got uh, a little bit. Um, bored and I just kind of went through some Orson Welles stuff and I rewatched uh, They'll Love Me When I'm Dead which is the documentary that Morgan Neville made about his last film um, and then I rewatched a documentary about the making of Citizen Kane um, that was an American Masters uh, episode that was actually nominated for an Academy Award called The Battle Over Citizen Kane. There's not much to talk about that documentary except the fact that I have it as a DVD as part of the Digi book of Citizen Kane. And because it was, uh, because it's a PBS thing, you got sponsors that weren't just from viewers like you. You also had like, you know, latched on sponsors. And forever in the history of the Digi book releases of Citizen Kane, you will get an ad for Scott's Lawn Care before you watch this documentary presented by Warner Brothers. It's just, so abrupt at the beginning to be like, and brought to you by Scott's Lawn Care. And I looked on the back of the Digibook, there is an emblem for Scott's Lawn Care on the back of Citizen Kane, the Digibook edition. So Scott's Lawn Care has eternal advertisement thanks to Orson Welles. It is so freaking weird. He's still shilling shit all these years. Um, and then I rewatched Citizen Kane. That movie is eternally relevant and a classic. So yeah, that's all I watched this week, guys. Brad? Uh, the only thing I watched this week was all of Space Force, which oh. uh, the, the first episode is tough to get through. I, I did not enjoy the first episode. It's very... I, I didn't find the humor there, uh, but, uh, it, but that's because a lot of it is set up, and it's not... I wouldn't go into it expecting you know an Office-style network TV show. It's very much like an HBO premium show comedy. Um, is it on CBS All Access? It's on Netflix. Oh, okay. The Netflix show. Um, but once uh, I, I finally got into it, I think it was the second episode where uh, it revolves around, they, they've launched a satellite into space and it uh, the Chinese satellite swoops by and dismantles it. And so they have to uh, seek out, there's a, there's a probe, I guess, that had like a monkey and a dog on it that they abandoned. And so they recommission it and try to get the monkey to repair the satellite. And uh, it's pretty twisted and dark what they go through to do that. And um, as the show goes on, it's actually got like a lot of heart to it in addition to comedy. So uh, yeah, it's, if you stick with it, it definitely gets a lot better. Um, Steve Carell plays uh, initially a three-star general, Mark Naird, who becomes a four-star general and, He's excited because he he thinks he's going to get promoted to one of the joint chiefs of the other uh, military divisions, but he ends up getting uh, uh, assigned to Space Force. And then there's like a, you know, I thought going to the show, he was going to be like the Warhawk general, but it's actually this other character called Kick Grabaston. Um, and so like he really want he he really wanted to be like the leader of Space Force. Uh, but obviously, Steve Carell got it anyway. Steve Carell's like bummed, but he, he's the kind of guy who's like, okay, well, you know, it's my duty and I'll, I'll still do it. So, um, you know, he goes into 
helping create Space Force. And then like it jumps to a year later when it's finally all together. And, um, you know, he's kind of like the, he represents the emotional side of it. And um, John Malkovich is like the lead scientist on it. And so he's the pragmatic, you know, scientist. And so like, they're both friends, but like those two ideologies bump heads in the show. And I'm actually um, surprised how much it like, it's not like entirely dismissive of Space Force. Uh, it actually has like this equal, you know, it's stupid, but here's like, like the positives that can be taken from it too. So I was surprised to find that it's not all just like tearing down that dumb idea. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And then, yeah, by I think it's uh, 10 episodes and by the 10th, um, you know, it has a cliffhanger and it's, it's, it's cool where everything's going. So yeah it took me a little bit to get into it too like it's i mean it's still fun there's still funny bits where you know uh steve carell when he finds out he's in charge of space force and they're making fun of the coast guard (laughs) yeah Um, like at least there's still one division that's uh embarrassed more embarrassing than space force (laughs) yeah it was guard yeah well there's some funny things and like the the russian astronaut that's dating his daughter or trying to yeah or trying to yeah it's really goofy um but it's funny, uh, his daughter, and then that uh, I forget the other the the guards. That they're basically uh, April Ludgate and Andy Dwyer. Yeah. Uh, but less dark and like less aimless. So it's a Greg Daniels show. So like it's interesting to see that character dynamic show up again. Uh, but yeah, the first episode is just like I, I just wasn't laughing at anything. I was actually kind of bored until uh, the second episode. I wasn't sure if yeah. I was going to get through it. Because, yeah, it's it's a lot of setup. And then Steve Carell, I don't know if you noticed, but is he, like, a lot of people mention, like, oh, he's doing, like, this gruff voice thing. Um, but I, I only see it, am I crazy? Am I, I'm only seeing it when he's with his family. When he's with the actual Space Force, he's kind of Steve Carell. No, I think he's, I think his cadence is a little different. And, I mean, his tone of voice is definitely different throughout it. It's like all over the place, yeah. So I don't know if he's just forgetting to do the voice sometimes or if it's like a calculated thing because he really yeah. only gets monotone when he's with his family off that means something. No, I, I think it's calculated because you can see him changing his tone between, uh, you're right, who's on screen and who's not. Yeah. And that episode where like Steve Carell, like they're so desperate to find the spy within Space Force and then he outs John Malkovich, like it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's got some really strong narratives going on. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I Ryan. didn't. Uh, I didn't watch too much this week. Um, I've been playing a lot of Last of Us Two, which you should pick up that game. It's amazing. Um, the two things I did watch this week is I. Uh, well, I guess three. I finished uh, the first season of Harley Quinn, and it's um. Yeah, it's an amazing TV show. You should really watch it. Um, the Lake Bell plays Poison Ivy, and it's probably my favorite interpretation of Poison Ivy. Um, I love and, Lake Bell. Yeah, and she... Uh, and I think that her and Harley Quinn are a thing on the show. Um, it must that's, be... That's been that, in comics, too. Yeah, yeah, it's in the comics, but uh, I don't want to spoil the first season because the last three episodes are pretty... Um, amazing and kind of heart-wrenching and also demented the uh the joker in this series is really great i think he's played by uh, alan tudyk 
and um, he he's funny, but then he's really, really psychotic and violent. And I mean, they don't shy away from the violence or the cussing on this show. So, so yeah, so uh, it's, I definitely recommend, I think you get the DVD with all the episodes. I think it's like $17 if you don't want to get DC universe. Um, And it's worth it. I mean, I've, I've rewatched a few episodes because they're so well done. Um, And one of the, creators and writers on the show. His name is Dean Laurie. Uh, he started off on Jason Goes to Hell and then did Arrested Development. So you never know where your career is going to go. Nope, not at all. He actually um, worked on Those Who Can't, that uh, Growlick show. Yeah, so he's uh, he, the, he definitely carved his own path after that. Yeah. Um, I watched uh, the 1979 Dracula that stars uh, Frank Langella, uh, Lawrence Olivier, and Donald Pleasance. Yep. And it's, um, I've never seen it before. Um, <laughs> it was part of my um, Scream Factory in, I think it was February or April. I don't remember when they had this sale. Mm-hmm. And I bought four movies and I finally got the last two of them this week. And, um, and Dracula was one of them. And one second, buddy, okay? Um, and it's... Uh, it's a different kind of take on Dracula. I mean, the story's really well known and it's, this follows the same beats, um, but it's more of a romantic Dracula. It's not that violent um, that the cast is phenomenal in it and not just uh, the three I mentioned, but even the supporting actors. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I actually watched it twice um, because the screen factory comes with two versions of the film. They're not, it's not a director's cut or, uh, a theatrical cut. It's actually a director's color timed and the theatrical release. Yeah. Um, and the director of it directed um, Bird on a Wire, um, Saturday Night Fever. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he's really uh, interesting. He's really funny. Um, oh, John Badham. Thank you. Um, yeah. He's really great on the commentary. I listened to the commentary on the theatrical one. So the big difference is, is his preferred version is a desaturated version where it kind of looks black and white and more of a gothic look except for flesh tones. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the theatrical release is brighter and kind of gives it like a golden hue. Um, and he has an introduction and he says, you know, you can pick which one you like. Um, I was just given the opportunity to desaturate it after uh, it came out in theaters and the technology was where, where I could make it how I wanted it. So it's kind of cool that screen put both of those on there. Um, and as I'm watching it, I go, man, this score is really good in this movie. There's a reason for that. I know, and it's uh, John Williams. And I had no idea <laughs> John Williams. I must have missed the credits. Uh, but the score is fantastic. Um, you know, it's a little tamer than most Draculas, but it's also, it's pretty, it's really well done. It's, it, it's, it's a good movie. It's not my favorite interpretation of the, uh, the novel, but it's a good one. I like Frank Langella in that film. Like, oh, yeah. It, he's, it's been a hot minute, good. but yeah. It's interesting when you, because he's usually so old and, you know, <laughs> being old and this he's, you know, he played Dracula on Broadway and he's transitioned from that into this and he, him playing a, like a sexy vampire is kind of interesting. I mean, it is, you know, 40 years old. Um, but, but 40 years old or not, he's still sexy AF in that oh, movie. No, he, like he commands a screen like nobody's business. It's Dude, he dominates it. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, and it, it's the interviews with the director and his commentary. He's really good, and it's really fun listening to him talk about the film. Um, because he said, "Man, you know, 
Saturday Night Fever is more popular, but everybody knows me for from Dracula. And, uh, <laughs> but he, he's kind of a cool director. He, he talks about um, how he lets the actors do whatever choice they want. And then, and then when he's done with that, he wants them to do it his way. And then they both watch the dailies together and then they decide together which performance is better. Uh, and he talks about specifically when Laurence Olivier and Dracula meet in the live, uh, the study, I guess. And yeah. uh, Frank Langello is way over the top. And he says, that doesn't play well on film, but try it and then do it my way. And then we'll watch him and we'll see which one works best. And he used a little bit of both. So it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a cool listen to him talk that way. And uh, the only other movie I watched is... Uh, You'll see an actual written review of it soon on Blueberried for Jaws the Revenge, which I haven't seen in a really long time. <laughs> that movie's awful. And <laughs> it, you go from, you know, Spielberg, and even uh, even the second film I think is really fun, but the, how fake the shark looks. And I was doing some research on it, and the budget for Jaws the Revenge, so this film came out in 86 or 85, I can't remember. It was $24 million. That's a lot of money back then. Yep. And the shark looks horrible. Um, the good thing with the Blu-ray is the transfer is really good, and you can see the sled pushing the shark in, like, five scenes. Um, <laughs> for some reason, the shark, like, is able to suspend itself out of water. Um, it also magic shark. when it dies. Um, not like, you know, where it's sinking in the original Jaws, where Spielberg just puts in that little... Yeah. In uh, this one, he gets some thing that messes up his senses, and he's like going, it's awful. But the best thing about this Blu-ray is they actually include an alternate ending where um, <laughs> the ending I've only seen is he gets blown up after he gets stabbed with like the boat because of whatever thing is messing with his internally. But the original ending is like he gets stabbed and then blood just pours out of the shark's mouth like, way over the top and then he just sinks to the bottom of the ocean and Mario Van Pebbles does not come back to life so that's I, a good part too I, I, I kind of like that ending better <laughs> <laughs> not 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 the Mario Van Pebbles thing necessarily but just the idea of like Jaws like choking on his own blood as he drops to the ocean <laughs> yes <laughs> and even more crazy is the alternate ending is been remastered so it's in high def and it's in <laughs> widescreen. I go, wow, they actually put some money into this film. Maybe not a lot, but some uh, to the, for the re-release. And that's all I watched this week. So Spielberg put the money in. <laughs> speaking of Frank Langella, he's uh, in the movie that I checked out from the library today. Which one? Oh, that's a great movie. Uh, oh, that's a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, he's great in that film. Um, People Robert listening Danny home with Good Night and Good Luck. Movie. Yes. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is great in that movie. George Clooney directed the hell out of it, and David Strathairn is a god. Corinne, have you seen that film before? Nope. Oh, 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 oh you're yeah. gonna love it. Well, you talked. We talked about it like a couple weeks ago, and so that's why I checked it out from the library. Oh, you're gonna you like, like it. Like you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. So I'll yeah, probably good. get around to it like this week or next week sometime. Good choice. You'll like it. Yeah. It's. It goes by so fast. It's, it's like a really tight film. Yeah. You know who's also good in that movie? Ray Wise. Ray yeah. Wise. Guy we don't talk about a lot, but. Everybody's on top of their game. 
Oh, yeah. So this week on Real Nurse Podcast, the fans helped us decide what film we were watching. And that film is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Corinne, should people see Where Brother? Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, I, you, they probably already have, I guess. I, I was not really big into the movie, I gotta say. Uh, I know, I know you guys. I know you guys love it, and I think that's maybe part of the problem is that you guys hyped it up so much, and the fact that it opens with like this title card that's like based on Homer's The Odyssey, and so I would expect, <laughs> like really like maybe not like super duper like uh you know like accurate or like like a very pure adaptation, but you know like a like a a loose, you know, adaptation of the Odyssey, you know, keeping a lot of the same plot elements and a lot of, like, the the same sequencing of events. And that wasn't really the case. It more kept, like, the, like, the general ideas of the Odyssey and the sequencing of events, like, everything was out of order and it really made me frustrated. And I just, I guess I, yeah... I didn't like it as much as I figured I would, but I liked all the performances. I liked the music. That's another thing is I actually grew up listening to the soundtrack because my mom had it for some reason. I don't know if she's even seen the movie, but I remember listening to Oh Death when I was a kid. Not like in, not like searching it out because I'm like, oh yeah, this is a real banger, but... <laughs> 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 listening to it like on our road trips or something um you know it would come up and I was like wow what a really morbid song and then seeing the scene that it's in I was like oh that colors the song very differently now for me mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's not only morbid but it's also really really fucked up so yep um yeah, like the music was great, the performances were great, but it's just not the movie that I was looking for, I guess. So, not for me. Brad? Uh, yeah, so you guys picked a movie that I can't get a hold of because it's not on Netflix and I don't own it. So, I'm just going to go off of what I remember from, I don't know, 20 years ago. Uh, and I was indifferent to it then. Um, it's it's a it's a fine film. It's, it's artfully made, but it didn't resonate with me so meh uh brad you could have got it for three dollars on amazon oh uh, so, you want me to digitally own it only like no, that's not right. what we do here on real nerds we own discs man i know but you can rent it for three dollars is what i'm saying oh my god also brad i have two copies and i would have delivered it to you somehow <laughs> <laughs> all right zach i want this to be over by ten thirty. so should people see this movie who elected you leader of this outfit, Ryan? Well, I'm just saying that <laughs> there because... There was no I'm, election. It's a dictatorship, Zach. Yeah, yeah it's a line I in the movie. Um, this to go on for a really long time. It's true. Um, no, yeah, I, everyone should see this movie. Um, there's actually a story behind Corinne's um, in, uh, 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 impression of how the Odyssey is portrayed because there's it's a bit of an in-joke, but uh, this movie's fantastic. This is a This is a family favorite watch for me, like... My my dad loves this movie. He got me into the Coen Brothers because of his love of this movie. Um, so it's a, something that I hold very dear to my heart. And you know who doesn't love George Clooney 
John Turturro and Tim Blake Nelson playing three screwball idiots wandering around Depression Era South. So, yeah, please watch it. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, – I'm not trying to pick on Corinne here, but, you know, it's based on the Odyssey – but it's what I'd expect from a Coen Brothers adaptation of the Odyssey. Um, and it's, it's we'll talk a, about it more after the trailer. But yeah, yeah. I, I think I know what Zach was referring to about the in-joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love this film. I, I've, I've always enjoyed this movie. Um, the performances are fun. I think it's a really uh, fun film. And it has some heart to it as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of the... I remember it being one of the very first Coen Brothers movie I watched and said, oh, I kind of dig what these guys are doing. Because I've never been a big fan of The Big Lebowski, which came out, I think, a year before. Or maybe uh, two. two years before, yeah. Yeah, but it was their film prior, I believe. And, um, you know, everyone loves The Big Lebowski. And I'm just like, eh, that movie's okay. And uh, But this film was the Coen Brothers movie that I loved. And uh, here's the trailer for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? my little girl. Uh-huh. He ain't our daddy. I am the only daddy you got. I am the damn heterofamilies. Now mama's got a new bow. here's got a job. Vernon's got prospects. He's bona fide. What are you? You can't marry him. Why can't I? I am and I will. This uh, gentleman bothering you? Well, you can't marry my wife. And stay out of the world for To get back to his wife and kids, Ulysses Everett McGill will do anything. Hey, any boy, Smitty. But he's about to get off on the wrong track. Who elected you leader in this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. Boys, just stick with me. We're in a tight spot. Believe me, I got a plan. And I can get my wife back and we can get out of here. Okay, I'm with you fellas. Introduces Pete. I've seen him first. Pete? <laughs> Them sirens loved him up and turned him into a horny toad. You two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. Allow well, me to introduce myself. Big Dan Tootcore. Hey, what line of work you, George? Come and get me, Captain! <laughs> oh, George, not the livestock. <laughs> Wait a minute. Since we've been following your lead, we got nothing but trouble. You have eluded me for the last time. I got the answers. I'm bona fide. May he be your friend's think I'm just a stranger. I think you never see no more. But there is one thought. You're gonna go far. I'll meet you on God's golden shore. You ever been with a woman? I gotta get the family farm back before I can start thinking about that. Zach, recap the film for us. Um, well, uh, three lovable netwits uh, led by Everett McGill um, are escaping Chang. What? McGill. You listen to Everett McGill? Well, they call him Everett in the movie, correct? I know, but his first name is Ulysses because it's Odysseus. Yeah. Um, Really quickly, I will point out to Corinne, the reason the Coen brothers made an Odyssey movie... because they've never even read the Odyssey. 
they, because they said we just wanted to have a movie that said based on something by Homer. So that's why they did it. It's in an interview that they did with Charlie Rose back in the day. Um, and also they're working off of a, um, a title from a Preston Sturgis movie. Um, but um, anyway, you, Everett McGill leads uh, Delmore and Pete um, away from the chain gang that they are attached to to seek out a treasure um, three days before it is buried at the bottom of a, of a, of a uh, flood. And essentially they go on an odyssey of sorts throughout the deep South and the depression. Um, they, they run into famous characters like George Babyface Nelson. Um, they uh, eventually break up the clan and they become pop stars in the process. Um, so yeah, this movie's fucking incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, Is it I mean, three days before the flood? Because it takes them way longer than three days to get there. Well, that's also, one, that's the conception of time. And two, John Turturro says, we got, oh, it's actually four days. We got four days to get to that treasure before it's at the bottom of our lake when we're not done. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, um, they it, it, it was funny. I was watching this and actually the, um, the, the scene where they're um, breaking up the Klan rally was pretty <laughs> remarkable how that's staged and how it plays off as a comedy that, like, it's it's towing such a line and I find it so fucking phenomenal every time I watch John Goodman get fucking smashed by that fucking flaming cross. It's, 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 um, and, uh, when they literally run Homer Stokes out on a rail, it's a hilarious visual gag for that old phraseology of run him out of town on a rail. Um, and yeah, and the music in this film is fucking fantastic as Corinne has already alluded to. Um, it's uh, it's T-Bone Burnett doing the music curation of everything with Carter Burwell doing some kind of insulary stuff there and there, I believe. But um, but yeah, it's a soundtrack that permeated my household as well, too. Like Man of Constant Sorrow was constantly pumping through the through the car stereo on the way to Costco. So, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that it. I love the movie. And it, this started my like of my love of George Clooney movies as well, too. So. Uh, just watching him play a very vulnerable uh, uh, idiot savant who keeps throwing out these large phrases to his two very dumb friends, and you just you're watching the whole time, going like you're just as dumb as two of the as the other two. So, um, but yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, after I watched the movie, because like I said, I just kind of sat there and I was like, well, that was a little disappointing. I mean, again, not a bad movie by any means, but just, I don't know. It didn't hit me the way I thought it would, I guess. But I looked up and read all the trivia on the IMDb page. And fun fact about the uh, KKK rally scene is that the majority of the extras that they used were, like, former military members. And, like, they had been part of, like, doing, like, military formation. So they had, like, that kind of background. Mm-hmm. And also, a lot of them were people of color. Hmm. So, fuck you, I did, <laughs> I, I did not know that. That makes it even ten times more interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and also, like, the, the whole scene where they're recording Manson and Sorrow, and, like, I, this was probably the first saw Stephen Root in anything, and I love Stephen to this day, probably thanks to this movie, because he's just this... Uh, him playing that blind radio station owner is just, a, it's uh, a record, uh, record maker owner is just fucking fantastic. Like 
he's really good in the movie. And I, I'm glad that the Coens have found a way to keep using him in things somehow. Like he's got the weirdest scene in no country old men, but he fucking works there. So, um, so yeah. And also I think this is one of the first films that I ever saw where, um, similar to Ryan, where I was, you know, noticing, like, I like what these guys do. I want to keep watching what they do. It's one of the reasons why, like, I was anticipating The Lady Killers when it came out, I think, four years later. Because they took a huge, they did uh, Man Who Wasn't There after this, and then Intolerable Cruelty, and then The Lady Killers. Um, but uh, we didn't watch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou until, I think, like, 2003. So, like, there was this year period of waiting for Lady Killers, and just I grew enamored with their visual style thanks to their comedies. And this one looks the best. And it's one of the first films that they did digital color timing on. So it's interesting when you watch the Blu-ray now how, uh, how the sepia really blends in and really makes certain elements of the film pop um, in a way that I don't remember them doing on DVD. So, so yeah. Ryan, do you have anything you want to add? <laughs> uh, I mean, the only thing I'll add is um, this is the movie too, where I, that Clooney guy proved to me that he's better off in movies than on some lame doctor show. So, oh. <laughs> and yeah. I, I've always been a fan of George Clooney, and I, I mean, I actually really like his when he directs. Um, and yeah, he he plays. He's just really great in this movie, um, and it, yeah just rewatching it you get transformed really quickly back into the world mm-hmm. and you get sucked up into it and it's one of those movies i watch and i go oh this goes by really fast and um yeah i i, I adore this film well i don't want fuck, you, god damn it i'm a dapper damn man <laughs> i would agree with you in that it does really create a, a good atmosphere and yeah it does suck you into that world so that it, definitely wasn't a problem for me it, it it plays it plays its tone interestingly like where like the atmosphere of that film is kind of like a warm nostalgic blanket and then they start kind of poking holes in that blanket mm-hmm. going like oh yeah the good old days were filled with racism and you know outdated outdated ideology and all that nonsense so like it's 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 interesting how it works its charms via the Coen brothers are the last bastions of screwball in the same way that Sam, Sam Raimi's the last bastion of slapstick where they just understand how to not only write but direct screwball humor in a way that I don't, I don't think I can't think of any other director or directors working in this day and age that know how to do it the way they do it. Um, it's 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 always a, a a stunning revelation anytime you revisit this film. Going like, man, it still works. Like, there's no for me, there's no there's no point in it where I'm ever like, oh, that doesn't hold up or that doesn't hold up. Like, even the CGI cow in the flood at the end doesn't bother me. Like, I'm just like, no, nah, this, this makes sense for this world. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a lovely film. I fucking love it. I did think it was kind of funny there at the radio station. They were talking about how they wanted to play songs from like the good old days or like old timey songs or something of that nature. And I'm like, this is set in the 1930s. What the fuck were the good old days, the 1890s? Well, probably like the early 1910s, 1920s and stuff. Um, like folk music. Like there, there's, a, there's a folk revival of sorts that, that permeates this film. And um, it's uh, the, the, the whole turn of them becoming those, those ancillary music stars and that being their their way out of the law of the trouble of the law is 
is interesting how it kind of does a depression era ver- version of uh, of a little, uh, sort of uh, phenomenon happening. Like that montage of, uh, amongst other things, showing a woman going like, do you have a soggy bottom boys man of constant sorrow? Like, no, ma'am. We got our shipment in yesterday. Whole just can't keep them on the shelf. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a folksy version of what a rock and roll sensation movie is to a certain extent too. So, um, and, uh, I, I will say there's there's one thing in this movie that is quoted beyond anything else in this uh, movie by my family is um, uh, it's two lines. One is you two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. And the other is the whole exchange over uh, do not seek the treasure. We thought you was a toad. Do not seek the treasure. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I could go on and on for this movie, but I know we all want to get out of here. <laughs> I, I can see that, Zach. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hear a great version of Man of Constant Sorrow, you can hear it on Rod Stewart's Stay Out debut album, the Rod Stewart album. <laughs> oh, he did a version? Oh, that's interesting. He uh, changes it uh, from Kentucky to Colorado, too. Um, ah, I see. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to look this up. You should, from 1969. Um, anyways, uh, when I was thinking about what to do next week... Brad and I have been talking, and it's going to be a surprise. I'll tell you guys when we um, sign off. But Brad and I were doing an email exchange, and it's kind of diabolical. And I told Brad, let's do it. Um, So until next week, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.